Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie, and me, Callum McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Welcome back to Scott Rock and part two with Robbie Phillips. If you didn't catch up with part one, pause this now, go back, listen to part one. It's epic, you won't regret it. But if you have, this is part two. Let's dive straight in. Right, I'm going to change gears here. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to dial it back. So you, I don't want to big you up too much here, but you're a pretty big name now. You're pretty famous. A lot of people know you. Uh, and I think most people who know your name I hope this doesn't come across as insulting but will know you from your kind of latest greatest big adventures like the the big films that you put out there Uh, a lot of people hear your name from these things they don't know too much about old Robbie old Robbie's past Um, and obviously what you're doing now is just is is one side to you It's it's your current direction it's definitely not the whole story. It's not where you started. Um, and I think you, like me, we, we were kind of that first generation to really come out of the indoor climbing wall scene strong. Like when we were coming up, it was the first kind of generation where climbing walls had been around for a little bit, but we were not, we'd been brought up through them. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't just we weren't trad climbers already who were using them as training. You know, we, we came up through them and um, that's what we used to get whatever skills we then brought into the, the wider climbing scene. Um, so I don't know if many of the generations before us that look at you as this, you know, the older generations who look at you now as this, the, the this new guru of pushing it hard uh, and doing all these amazing new lines and pushing the sport. Um, I don't know if they know that it all started through the indoor scene and through competition climbing. Um, I don't know if that's something you talk about all that often. Uh, it's not something that comes up a lot in your YouTube stuff these days. So I think it's an, an interesting part of, of your history. Um, like what the comp climbing scene was for you and what it gave you in what you're doing now yeah no that's that's yeah that's really uh some good points there <clears throat> it's funny because yeah i uh you know obviously i put a lot of uh information and content out there through youtube videos social media all that sort of stuff and i guess that paints uh, a picture to other people of who you are mm. what you do but because I myself don't see myself always as what I put out because I know the full length and history of, of me, yeah. Um, yeah. how I view myself might be quite different to how people now perceive me, um, especially people who are just learning about what I'm doing or people that have only learned about what I've been doing in the last three to five years mm-hmm. or six years or seven years or eight years. And it's funny because 
who I see myself as is, you know, that little boy who started indoor climbing, you know, Alien Rock 2, and then joined the Rathal Youth Club, and then started doing the bricks, and had that sort of fierce rivalry with Rob McKenzie, (laughs) which was kind of very one-sided because I was super rubbish and Rob was super good. (laughs) Don't be proud nosing me like that. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know, I've I I, I love indoor climbing, you know, and I I spend a lot of time indoor climbing and training. And uh, over the years, you know, my my life's gone in so many different directions at different times, you know, from coaching, working with competition climbers, young competition climbers, working with, you know, um just passionate um climbers in general, um coaching them for performance, route setting, then kind of getting to the more adventurous side of climbing and developing that side of me and the things I want to do. And, and it's and into what I do now, which is kind of um, from a career perspective, uh, you know, filmmaking and producing content about authentic adventures, you know, storytelling, the things that I'm, I'm doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, these projects, these goals, trying to sh- share the the experiences of exploring the Scottish landscape for first ascents, for big, beautiful features that capture my eye, for the king lines, and and showing to show, trying to show what inspires me most about climbing at the moment, which actually, for the most part, is climbing in Scotland, because I think we've got such one of the most beautiful and varied landscapes. I've ever seen in the world and I have really traveled the world you know I've, I've been to a lot of places and so I'm trying to get around to what I was trying to answer but I mean yeah I guess if you're if you're if you're new to me you might only see me as this sort of adventure trad climber who's going about you know doing that but yeah I have a whole background in in his in history and indoor climbing and competitions mm. and that's and that's really where it all started and actually it all started with the duke of edinburgh award oh, really <clears throat> yeah and this is quite interesting because i remember the day i signed up for the duke of edinburgh award i wasn't a climber i was maybe at that point 14 years old coming up for 15 i was in s3 high school and the teacher said, you need to go and have a look at the Duke of Edinburgh folder in the library because it's got the different activities that you can do mm. as part of the Duke of Edinburgh Award. You've got to do a sport, you've got to do a charity, and you've got to do um, a skill, yeah? So I went along to the library, asked uh, Mrs. Hooper, the librarian, if I could borrow the folder. She said, there it is. I was like, okay, so I took it to a wee table. And I can remember opening the pages, looking at the different activities you could do. And in the skill section, there was this option to to do animal stuff. So I was like, that's really cool. Uh, animals, like, I wonder if I could get like a job or like a, a, a voluntary um, work placement at something like, you know, Dick Vet or or maybe like the Butterfly and Insect World. Ended up getting a wee job at the Butterfly and Insect World for three months, which was amazing. Yeah. And learned all about reptiles and insects and snakes and stuff. <clears throat> so that was that solved. The other option for the charity was uh, there was all these different options of charities that you could you could uh, you could go and work for. There was this other one. There was this one at the end. It was like 
you know, helping an elderly uh, person, you know, grandparent. So I went to my granddad and he went, son, I'm, I'm half blind. So if you want, you can just help me do my shopping and I'll take it off for you. <laughs> <laughs> Solved. <laughs> Worked out nicely. And then the third one was the sport. You know, I had all the usual ones, rugby and cricket. And, and then rock climbing was one of the options. I was like, rock climbing would be really good. And I knew about Alien Rock. I think I'd been there a couple of times with birthday parties and things. And so I just asked my mum if she would take me down to the Alien Rock. And she took me down to Alien Rock 2. I remember walking in and there was a guy behind the counter. His name was Johannes Felter. And he was just where, I think he was just like, uh, at the time, I think, I'm not sure if he was at university at the time or something, but he was he was uh, sort of one of the main guys there. And I just went straight up to him and said, would you be my assessor? for the Duke of Edinburgh Award, I'll come in here every Friday and do a climbing session. You just take it off. And he was like, absolutely. And Johannes was brilliant. He uh, gave me things to do, you know, gave me activities to do, techniques to practice, all the usual stuff. And I did that for three months for my bronze Duke of Edinburgh Award. And at the end, I remember being really disappointed because I'd loved it so much. I'd had such a great time. And I'd, I'd really found I'd become part of that you know, indoor climbing community at Alien Rock 2. And it was all over now. And I said that to Johannes. And he just said to me, you do realise you can keep doing You can this. still keep climbing, <laughs> right? He's like, it doesn't have to end now. I was like, oh my God, the penny dropped. And I was like, that was it. I just was in love with climbing. And uh, it's cool because Johannes Felter now um, runs uh, an outdoor charity. Um, Al- I think Alban, Alban Outdoors. Is it Alban? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> yeah, Alban Outdoors, um, based up in Inverness, mm. which uh, helps getting young people uh, into outdoors and yeah. into climbing and things. And uh, it, I just felt like I was so lucky that Johannes was the guy that, you know, kind of supported me in those yeah. first three months. And and then the rest is history. You know, I, I started climbing at Ratho, got introduced to Neil McGeeky and Neil Busby. Those guys were just so amazing and uh, amazing mentors mm. taught me you know what it is to be a good climbing steward you know to enjoy you know to be able to push hard and train hard but also respect the environment and to become part of that that social scene as well and to look after others I think something that I had been missing as well before I found climbing was a real social um social side to my life like didn't really get on with kids at school like I struggled mm. um I'm pretty sure I've got ADHD I'm pretty like <clears throat> I'm definitely on the spectrum I just didn't like you know see eye to eye with a lot of kids and and that was a real problem but then when I found climbing introduced to you know the the wide demographic of of people that you get in climbing, mixing with people of all ages and, and abilities and socioeconomic backgrounds. It was just a melting pot of like different people and they were all very welcoming because we just had this one thing in common. We loved to go climbing mm. and and that was that. And uh, and then from Neil, Neil and uh, Geek and Busby's influence, um, you know, I did competitions. They took me outdoors. They took me on trips to Malham Cove, to Kilnsey, to Dunkeld, 
Um, they took me on trips to Spain, to France. <clears throat> you know, I, I was traveling the world from when I was 16 years old. Then I went on my first big climbing trip on my own to Cuse yeah. when I was like 16. I went for like the summer, um, just camped, you know. And I can remember, I had no idea really how climbing trips worked at that point. All I knew was I had this amount of money. I had to make it last as long as possible. So just don't waste it, you know. Just I went out to, to CUs and ate nothing but white pasta for six weeks. <laughs> By the end, I had constipation. Yep. <laughs> very malnourished at that point. Very malnourished. <laughs> I think it was white pasta and Nutella. <clears throat> Strong combination. I know. Dave McLeod would be That's proud. like your, uh, what was it you had in... On our cup, is it peanut butter wraps? Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, God. I'm still on them. You still on the peanut butter wraps? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love you peanut butter wraps. Uh, I'm in butter wraps. You freak. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the I'm, in, I'm interested, the, the competition side, not just the indoor climbing side, but the competition side, what, like, what did that, did that give you anything that you, you've used in your, that you use in your climbing now? Like, uh, was there anything that that side taught you uh, and where this is a different, difficult one to word where would you place the importance of that that part of of your climbing history to what you've been able to achieve like what was doing the competitions specifically a, a, an important part of that journey for you or was it a little bit of a side hustle as you were kind of just coming up through climbing anyway maybe a combination of both you know <clears throat> i think uh climbing competitions for people or for kids who live um in the cities uh there's something to focus on you know living in edinburgh the nearest climbing is south you know you could go to northumberland an hour and a half away i guess you got the central belt quarries mm. they were a big part of my climbing development as well growing up um uh, Dunkeld, it's like an hour and a half up the road, Dumbarton, that sort of thing. But they're not on your doorstep, you know? It's not like, after school, I'm going to the crag. Mm. It's a weekend job, you know? Or, you know, just, yeah, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. And you could have someone to drive you there. And last time I checked, 16, 15 year olds aren't allowed to drive, yeah? So it's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So climbing competitions are a great thing to focus on. They give you purpose. They give you direction. They give you, you know, this uh, concept of goal setting, something to build up, build towards. And I guess the climbing competitions gave me that. I I am naturally competitive. I, I definitely am. But I don't, I don't think I really have the fire for competing against others. Mm. It's not like, I, I think I struggle with that thing where I'm like, I want to beat other people. It's not like that. It's like, I want to better myself. Yeah. I want to I want to be better than what I was yesterday. And competitions, no matter which way you try and, you know, paint it, you're always competing against other people. Mm. That's what it is. And I mean, there's definitely like nice stuff about competitions, but there's also not so much nice stuff about competitions. You know, there's always going to be losers. There's always going to be tears. 
And I didn't like that side to it for myself. It's because you always lost to me. It's true. <clears throat> I can remember, I can remember, like, I thought I had you. I thought I had you because I was like, I was training so hard and we'd had a couple of climbing sessions together at the wall and I was definitely climbing better than you. And then come the day of the competition, you just crushed me. And I think it's, I, I just. I am sorry. No, sorry. I, honestly, I don't. <laughs> I don't hold any ill will about, about it at all, you know? It was like... No, because you're not bringing this up 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... You know, it's... Uh, they're all they're all really fond experiences I look, look back on, you know? Yeah. Smile, you know? it's I, I really enjoyed my time, but I it was definitely just a time, yeah. you know? And it, it was... I You know, I, I also... I, I dip in and out of competitions still. Like, I've not done competitions in a while, but I definitely um, would imagine myself at some point going back and doing some more like i enjoy the winter bouldering series mm. for for things every now and again um but you know at the time they, they were massively important towards my development as a climber on understanding how to goal set as i said you know dealing with failure that's a, a bit that's a big <coughs> one the comps do teach you is how to deal with failure yeah one of the biggest lessons i learned from a climbing competition was has has stuck with me for a very for this entire time and it's been massively supportive in the way I approach rock climbs now. And it's this idea of being able to give a hundred percent onto a climb, like to, to really give yourself to the climb and not care about the result at the end of it, only caring about the knowledge that you gave your all. Mm. And it happened because um it wasn't even a competition. It was actually training for a competition. Geek had set up a mock comp and he set all these really cool routes and there was this blue 7C going up the wall and that was my route. And we went into isolation and we came out and we each had a shot on it. And I was, I, I put my heart and soul into the moment. I was really, really psyched. I got maybe like three quarters of the way up the wall and I got to this point where I was like too scared to go for the next move in case I fell off. And because I didn't want to go for it, I let go. And I realized in that moment, I was, I let the fear of failure get the better of me. Yeah. And I never wanted to feel that way again. I left that, I actually was on the verge of tears. I remember feeling it. I was like, I didn't try my best because I was too scared to try my best. Because mm. I thought, what, what if I fail? And I've never done that since because it's always better to try your hardest and fail knowing you gave everything. Yeah. Because, you know, if you've given everything, then that's it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Without that mindset, you wouldn't have been able to put up summer lead. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. like when you're on hard trad and stuff like that, like when you're miles above a bit of gear that has only got one lobe of the cam engaged, like you need to give a hundred percent like giving less than a hundred percent or jumping off because you're scared to give a hundred percent is not acceptable but but at the same time like equally um any of my hardest trad sport bouldering big walls any of them they all required my a hundred percent commitment it required like me to give when the possibility of failing was high but only by giving everything could i really succeed and if I gave 99%, I was sure to fall off. If I gave 100%, I was still sure to fall off. 
possible to fall off. Sorry, I should say yeah. it was still possible to fall off. Yeah. But there was also the possibility to it succeed. Yeah. yeah. And so you just got to roll that dice and give 100% and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And look where that's brought you. Like, look at the things you've managed to achieve. But also look at the things I haven't achieved. You know, there's some things yeah. I, there's some things I have tried really hard yeah. and given everything and not achieved. And that is also worth mentioning because, you know, what makes a person isn't their successes. No. It's also their failures. And they've got to be able to wear them proudly, mm. proudly, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some one of my biggest failures of all time, Magic Mushroom on El Capitan. It was, I gave, you know, a lot to that, a lot of time invested, a whole two months of my life, like sitting on El Capitan day after day, working pitches after pitches, trying it, trying it, trying it, and going for two attempts to free it and failing and coming home mm. without it, you know? And, you know, that's time that wasn't um, not well spent. It was amazing. An amazing experience. I learned tons from it and it's still sitting there waiting for me to come back one day, you know? And yeah. one day I'll give it another crack. And yeah, hopefully I might have some better luck. Yeah. I think you, you worded that really well there. The, you got to wear your failures proudly. Like those failures, they're not failures. There's no such thing as failure. Every time you fail on something, it, as long as you come away with something you've learned from it or even if you haven't learned anything from it, the pride that you tried your hardest. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like if you give a hundred percent to something, it doesn't matter whether you, you succeed or you fail. Like you've given a hundred percent. That's something to be damn proud of. Yeah. And competitions do or can, if you know, if you're conscious enough at them, like it can teach you that, you know, if, if you fall off or you come dead last in the competition, as long as you've given it a hundred percent, you can walk out of that room proud. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's really hard in competitions though, because like in competitions, you're always comparing yourself to other people and everyone has, everyone has different days. Yeah. You know, some people have good days on some days and bad days on others. Your route, the routes are constantly changing or different routes every single mm -hmm. time. It's not like you can be like, Oh, I got to, I got like one move higher than last time because well, the routes different to last time. Yeah. You know, I've just been away on sky working a big project and I can feel the progress, you know, I can feel, yeah, yeah. and I, I've changed the sequence. I've learned something every day. I was like, there's a subtle change to what I'm doing now. I've never made a big difference. Or I've made a little difference. Or there's been some change, but I'm, I'm learning. I'm progressing. You sound like a speed climber. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, I just think that, um, you know, you've just got to look for the little wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in competition, it's, it's the same, you know, it's always possible. You've got to be positive and, and always look for these little wins yeah. and just climb for yourself and climb your heart out. And that's it. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously now you've, you've kind of moved into the realm of <clears throat> hunting and finding and then developing your own new hard king lines out there. Um, but can you give us, you, you already said that, you didn't have this like hard transition from indoor climbing, competition climbing into the outdoors. You know, Geek and Buzz were taking you uh, down south to Malin. They were taking you up to Dunkel. Like you, they were taking you out and giving you that experience of outdoor climbing as you were kind of c coming up through the comp scene as well at the same time. So 
And then you said you went away to Serana for a little bit, and I know you've been on a bunch of other trips. Uh, but can you give us some highlights from your outdoor climbing before you discovered this love of developing? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> yeah, so Geek and Buzz, you know, they took me, you know, sport climbing and a little bit of track climbing as well. They really fostered um, that love and psych for just rock climbing in general. Um, but sport climbing was definitely what I was most psyched for for quite a long time. Um, I'd say up until maybe I was like 23, I was definitely the... I was I was I was trying to become a better sport climber. That was ultimately what I wanted to do. I was really enjoying traveling all all over the shop and just trying to push my my sport climbing as hard as it could really go. And um, I'd say there was this interesting transitional period where I will be honest. I think I just lost the love a little bit for sport climbing. Primarily because I just found that, you know, I was getting, I was getting, it sounds, sounds really, it sounds like a real first world problem, I'll, I'll be honest, but I, I think I was losing the love for sport climbing because I just felt it got a bit samey. Mm. It got a bit boring. It was like, you rock up to the crag, have a project, you know, like go for the process of like working the moves, red points, you know, like, and I was, I was going to the same places, um, you know every year and meeting the same people and it was very grade orientated you know all the time the conversations were like grades soft hard like well what have you climbed you know you know what it was just I don't know I, I feel like I started to just get a bit bored of it and and maybe just lost a little of that spark mm. and I had this yeah this moment when I was what 23 and I was just like, God, am I losing my love for climbing? And it was a scary thought because I'd always loved it so fiercely, so passionately. And there was this moment when I, I thought, could this start dissipating? And I did a trip to Australia which was a bit different. I had a friend, I had lots of friends in Australia and it really felt like a more adventurous trip. Yeah. It was somewhere different. We were climbing in the outback, you know, I was exploring these like wild and, and new sport climbing areas, uh, places that a lot of people didn't go as well. Like went to Queensland and, and climbed in um, this really cool place called Coulomb. It's a big, enormous like Rhyolite amphitheater. Did some did it my first ever first ascent an 8c which ended up being the hardest sport climbing queensland for a number of years called it hagasaurus rex because the rock was like sort of weird hexagonal feature it looked very like uh, dinosaur scales and i knew i knew it had to have like a scottish seam so i called it hagasaurus rex that confused <laughs> the hell out of all the aussies yeah, yeah. the the, uh, uh, the the aussies call it the hag now it's had quite a few ascents I've heard it's a bit of a classic as well, which is quite cool to hear. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I guess that was my first taste for first ascending. Even though I didn't bolt it, it was like um, the first time I'd, I'd climbed something that hadn't been done before and getting to name a climb that was also really cool. And this trip was also just a bit more adventurous. You know, it was going somewhere completely different. 
And off the back of that trip, an Aussie friend of mine, Logan, said, do you fancy doing like a, a big adventurous route uh, next year? Something a bit wilder in the Alps. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, well, do you have any ideas? And I don't know where it came from, but I had remembered there was this big multi-pitch in the Dolomites called Bella Vista. And it was an Alex Hooper climb. Yeah. He's a legend. And I thought, yeah, why don't we give Bella Vista a crack with no idea what it entailed? So <clears throat> 2014, I guess, uh, we met up at the Dolomites and went to the Trecime de Lavaredo to Chima Ovest, where Bella Vista is, and started climbing. And I'd, I'd never done a multi-pitch uh, before in my life. And this is... What a want to start on. Yeah, this is an 8B plus multi-pitch in the Dolomites on one of the most incredible uh, overhanging uh, features in... Well, it's not the Alps because it's the Dolomites, but in, mm. in Europe, you know. Um, at the time, it was regarded as one of the hardest alpine rock routes in Europe. And uh, it was protected largely by uh, pegs. In fact, I don't think there are any bolts on it other than the anchor bolts. I think everything's a peg. So it's a pretty wild yeah. and committing climb. And I remember we tried it over a week and had a had a, a push attempt had a one big day we were trying to put trying to do it and i remember committing to the the crux pitch and having to have a conversation with myself at the belay <clears throat> i can remember vividly the conversation i had with myself where i was so scared of taking falls onto these pegs and you got to understand it's it's exposed it's steep these pegs rip you're not going anywhere you're not going to hurt yourself you know but I was new to this and I was scared and the exposure really took out of me. Mm. And I had, to, I had this conversation with myself in my head where I was like, do you really want this, Robbie? Do you want this more than life itself? You have to commit to this. You have to give everything. Just give it all. Yeah. And I actually was like, yeah, come on, you can do this. And I went for it. And I can remember blasting like 50. 40, 50 meter long pitch traversing sideways along the side of this enormous overhang. At one point, if the first 10 meters, you turn a corner and you can't see the belier. You're there on your own, just firing through this incredible overhang. The rock is moist and it always carries this like moisture to it. So all the holds are really slippy. Mm -hmm. It's really, it feels like you're climbing on soap. And some of the holds, they <laughs> wobble and they and they break as you hold them. The rock quality is pretty poor. And you're just clipping these rusty pegs that have been there for 20 odd years. And as you're, I was powering through the sequence of really hard 8B plus climbing. And then at the end of this sort of traverse, there's an enormous hole. And you just throw your foot into it, heel hook it, and then grab it with your hand. It's a big jug. And as you grab it, you know you've got this one short 10 meter section left to do with a wee cruxy section in it. But in this hole, you can rest. And I grabbed the hole and there's no feet. So you stick your feet inside the hole and you hang upside down. And I managed to jam my heels and my toes into the hole and bat hang backwards, facing outwards towards the mountains. And the sky 
was made of jagged stalactites <laughs> and the, the the ground was just a sea of blue it looked like i was like in the underworld because the whole world had turned upside down <laughs> and you're hanging there like 300 meters up you know with just air beneath you and i just remember thinking this is the wildest thing i've ever experienced <laughs> anyway i rested up got back into the hole and then climbed the last 10 meters one tricky little section grabbed the final jug just started screaming and i could just hear the faint screaming of logan my partner just like from the belay just, ah, you know i'd completed it anyway logan uh unfortunately didn't manage to climb the pitch but seconded it and, and met me at the belay and we were aiming to get out of it that that day so we started climbing again unfortunately we were just incredibly slow because pretty inexperienced mm. got to a tiny ledge and it started raining and we decided it's better just to sit on this ledge until it stops raining but it never stopped raining yep that's so, the choice yeah it got worse and worse and because logan was like five foot two I had to to spoon him. I was I was big spoon. He was little spoon. For warmth through the night, as the rain hammered down on my back, I had just a thin, like like just a thin like trousers on, like no no base layer. I had like this rubbishy jacket at the time. <clears throat> wasn't sponsored or didn't have any good good gear. You know, I yeah. just was like I just I wasn't even prepared. You know, for this sort of thing. I was soaking wet, <clears throat> so cold. I turned around and I could see in the darkness the twinkling lights of little houses far away in the distance. And I was imagining what it must be like to be in those homes, warm, next to a fire, eating good food. Oh my God, that'd be so good right now. But here I'm on this bloody ledge, 400 <laughs> meters off a bloody dolomite cliff, spooning an Australian, tiny Australian man for warmth. Anyway, as soon as there was even a glimmer of sunlight coming up and the, 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 and, and the rain had stopped, I said to Logan, let's just get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> we climbed up and over the top and yeah. <clears throat> finished the climb. We were, we were happy, but it's funny, we, we barely said anything to each other. We walked all the way back to our car. We're soaking wet, we made a quick change of clothes, went into the refugio which was situated right next to the car park, sat down, ordered some food and just sat there in silence. And then I looked at him and said, man, that was the best day of my life. <laughs> Mate, you got a screw loose. Yeah. And that was the start, man. <laughs> that was the start. That was when I got the taste, the real taste of adventure, yeah. you know, the, the thing that set it all off. <clears throat> I realised... It wasn't that I was losing my love for climbing. I think I was just, I was just lost before this. You know, I was, yeah. I was kind of losing sight of what climbing was really about. Um, I guess in my earlier years, everything had been an adventure, mm. and even yeah, sport climbing had been an adventure. But then sport, I, I think I became too entrenched in the the idea of like sport climbing being all about progression, about following grades, and about performance yeah. and now this sense of adventure had uh, had rekindled the fire the passion for climbing and and i was psyched again and the the, the hilarious thing about all this is of course i've <clears throat> gone away and had lots of adventures 
And I found my way back to sport climbing again. And I love sport climbing. Like I absolutely love sport climbing. I love pushing myself. I love like having a project and, and challenging myself on it. And I can enjoy it really intrinsically for me because, you know, that's a part of it. And I've also got these other things, this adventure that I can have, and it all works in tandem. Mm. You know, they're two different things. Equally, you can have adventurous sport climbing too. Yeah. You know, you can, you, can, you can combine all these things. And that's the wonderful thing about climbing is it's so multifaceted. There's so many different ways in which you can enjoy the, the activity. Mm. And, and that's why, yeah, I can't just sit down and be a sport climber. I've, I've got to do everything. <laughs> That's, that was very poetic. Yeah. You're getting very poetic in your old age. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Only 33. Uh, um, Imagine what I'm so going to be like at 66. Was, <laughs> I'm intrigued then. What was the the inspiration that came, that you know pushed you to start doing you know, truly epic, big new developments like, you know, like, like Blood Moon? You know, did that inspiration come from the adventurous side that you found on Bella Vista or was there a, a first ascending new route development thing that came from doing routes like Hagasaurus? Um, <clears throat> like where, yeah, where did that, like d moving into doing a little bit of first ascending and doing adventurous stuff, where did they kind of combine to take on big projects like that? Yeah. I don't really know. Um, you know, it's 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 hard it's hard to pin pinpoint exactly what it is. I would actually say that first ascenting has has never has has not always been something I've been that bothered about. Mm. You know, like I would even say when I went and did Blood Moon, like I'd caught a little bit of that first ascenting bug beforehand, where I was like, oh, it's always it's cool to go and do new routes, mm. and I, I honestly think that I thought. With Blood Moon, so for people that don't know, Blood Moon's a, a big wall first ascent in Madagascar that I did in 2018 alongside um, good friend Callum Cunningham from Ullapool and my other friend Alan Karn, expat, lives in France. And um, <clears throat> I'd say on the, but when I went to do that, the idea of going to Madagascar is such a long way away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to Madagascar, you might as well do a first ascent. I mean, you got to leave something behind, you know, like just going there and repeating routes. It just seems a bit of a waste uh, in my mind. Sorry, I shouldn't say it's a waste, but in my mind, I was like, you know, if you're going to go and have an adventure, have a proper adventure, go and do something new. And when we arrived in, in Saranoro in Madagascar, we looked at these walls and there was just some really epic things to go at. So we, we went for it. But, you know, I'd say like that back then, even then, I'd say first ascending wasn't necessarily the thing that I was most psyched for. I would say, honestly, when I, when I came home, it was probably just going out and repeating things like, you know, things that people had already done because mm. you're a surefire way of having like a really good day's climbing, going out and doing things that other people have already done and achieved. And, you know, it's just, it's just good to go out and do stuff. Go out, good to go out and climbing. When you go first ascending, there's a lot, um, there's a lot more to it than just the actual climbing part. But <clears throat> these days, I found that's really changed um, 
first ascenting for me is probably the thing that I love more than anything right now. Um, and I'd say, you know, I'm not hungry for developing loads and loads and loads of climbs. Mm. It's not like I, I'm not this kind of guy who wants to just like have his name in the guidebook on all the climbs at the crag. I just want to find the best lines. I want to do the best quality rocks, like the best, most beautiful, uh, inspiring routes that capture my imagination. They're not the climbs, they're not They're not necessarily even the hardest climbs always. Um, they're just the ones that really like look like I want to climb that. And I think I also, I just really like the unknown mm. of a first ascent. Looking at a wall and thinking, <clears throat> could, could that be possible? Is that possible? Oh man, I'd love to, to get up there and see. And especially in Scotland, what I have found is I'm just psyched on going out and hunting, you know, looking for these things. I get ideas, like feelings about places. I can't quite, I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It's like there's something like deep inside, like calling me, like from the hills, from the mountains. Like there's a, they're saying, we're here. You've just got to find us. <laughs> you know? And I, I always imagine that there's these amazing boulders, these big, steep, epic pieces of granite with beautiful features waiting to be found somewhere in the mm. in the hills. I mean, with uh, my most recent um, developments up at Ben Loyal, that was definitely what happened there. I mean, I can remember the, the first day I saw Ben Loyal, the mountain. I was driving across uh, the Kyle of Tongue on that on that um, bridge, and I, I looked south and saw the mountain in all its glory. This beautiful granite tendrils just wrapping their way around the the green uh, mountain hillside, mm. looking like an enormous hand, like an enormous like troll's hand, and just squeezing this this mountain. And it had this sort of like beautiful, like the, the, the sun was like gleaming against it with those wispy clouds and it looked like something out of a Lord of the Rings uh, picture or film, half expecting to see some enormous dragon flapping its wings coming around the side. And I just looked at it thinking, God, there must be something amazing up there. Mm. I just felt it calling me. And of course, got home and, and looked on UKC and there was a few climbs and I saw that Simon Nadin um, had uh, had done some first ascending up there. Got in touch with him, and he of course said, "Oh yeah, there's something really special up there. You need to go and take a look at." Yeah. And of course, went up there and found the most some of the most amazing rock I've ever climbed in Scotland. But it had been kind of left relatively untouched for the last decade or so, and kind of fallen into mystery, you know. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the fact is, like, you know, I I think that there are climbs, there are, there are walls and there's stuff in Scotland, again, like the St Kilda soy thing, you know, they're just waiting to be found. And um, I don't know, it may, I think it maybe it's a bit of the adventure in me and, and the romantic and the sort of storyteller who just loves this idea of going out and, and finding them and, yeah. and, and trying to climb them. It's funny, like, 
at the risk of starting a fight, I think most climbers are most climbers are consumers. You know, we we, we travel to existing already climbed on locations and climb lines that have already been done and developed and get ascend, move on to the next thing on the tick list and we consume all these things that have been given to us by some of the greats that have come before us. Not many climbers have that vision. Not I mean not many people have the, the skills or the opportunity to go out and that's it. Hunt yeah. and find yeah. It's new not. lines and stuff, but I, I don't think many people have the vision to be able to, like you said, you've got this feeling that the mountains are calling to you, yeah. go and come and find us. Like that doesn't come to many people. That's it's a special thing. And I, I just, I do wonder where that came from. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I've always been a bit of a, like, I've always had a huge imagination, you know? <laughs> you know, the mountains are talking to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hear them, I'll tell you. <laughs> Robbie's sitting in the back of his van, rocking. Going, I can hear the voices. I can hear the voices. Right, Ben Loyal, how you doing, mate? I've got a boulder up here, man. Come and see it. <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, I've always had a big imagination. Uh, maybe I'm a hopeless romantic, and I, I kind of imagine. You know, I grew up on Lord of Rings and Star Wars, and. Um, you know all that sort of stuff mm. uh so maybe it's a mixture of that going into you know climb climbing and the stories of climbers um all together i hate i hate to say i i don't like to um suggest that people other people are doing it wrong like there's nothing wrong with just going out and climbing climbing stuff that's already been done mm. like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that like that's really cool like that's absolutely fine like um repeating hard stuff repeating easy stuff you know whatever it's i'm in i have opportunity you know that is without a shadow of doubt i'm sponsored climber i get i get paid by companies to create content to be able to 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 live this life i don't get paid a lot of money but i manage i've managed to forge myself a career that gives me time to be able to do what i want and that is not that's something that's incredibly rare mm, like yeah. that's not everybody has had that opportunity to do that there is the opportunity for young people and and, and other and old people to to do similar things mm. but it's not easily done so i have to say that you know because um you know i i always find myself you know <laughs> i always find myself at these crags and these boulders like cheesing away like like Oh my god! I can't believe nobody's been here. Well, take a mo- moment to think why nobody's been here. Yeah, Robbie. everyone else has to work for a living, Robbie. Yeah, well, they're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you have to get a boat to get here. Like, not everybody has bloody epic loads of time to spend, like traipsing around Scotland looking for some random boulder on top of a bloody mountain. You know? Yeah, like, and it, sometimes I find stuff and I go. I can't believe Dave McLeod hasn't done this. And I'm like, Scotland's a big bloody place. Dave McLeod's only one man. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's not, and, and obviously there's other climbers going out and doing this stuff, but they've all made sacrifices. A lot of them have made sacrifices to, to live a life that's more frugal than a lot of people potentially want. Um, they've sacrificed 
more than that, like relationships at times can't deny, you know, climbing is something that puts a lot of strain on, you know, my life, my relationships, family, that sort of stuff. It, it does, you know, it, it takes its toll and I have to find a way to balance it all. But the one thing that makes it all very easy, not very easy, but makes it easier for me is that I don't have a nine to five. I don't have a manager, you know, who sits over me and asks me for deadlines. Mm. You know, I've managed to create a career that is very flexible and that is possible for other people, but that is also what has allow- allows me to do what I do. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it like, it sounds like the fairy tale life and I'm sure it's not all, not There's all the fairy tale life. It, yeah. No, it's hard and it's definitely not for everyone. Definitely not. But yeah. Um, I want to come on to your career side in a second, but uh, how many, I'm, I'm, when I was writing questions for this, I was wondering how many first ascents have you actually got now? Not many. Like I'm not like that's I don't think I've got loads and loads and loads of first ascents. Um, I like I'm quite picky. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny actually. Somebody asked me this the other day. There, they asked me why it is I don't do, uh, I don't tend to do easy first ascents because it's not like I'm going out and putting up loads of like severes and vs's and hvs's and even like mm. e1s e2s e3s. You know, um, and I don't. I I've only placed a handful of bolts um, in my life. Um, I've never bolted anything in in Scotland yet, um, and the trad the the trad first ascents I've done have all been harder. Oh no, at least E six. I don't think I've done a first ascent of a trad route easier than E six, and bouldering. Um, I think maybe seven. I guess like six C seven A something like that, and I guess someone said, "Why is that?" I mean, <clears throat> the answer is. To do first ascents, it's a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, you need to put a lot of elbow grease to to not only finding the routes themselves, but cleaning them, preparing them, getting them ready to climb. If these are big trad routes, you know, they take that a lot of commitment. Also, I want a challenge. I want something that's going to feel worthy of the time I've put in to clean it and prepare it. So that's going to be hopefully something harder that's not going to be done in you know half an hour or an hour. It's going to be something that actually takes me time to do. Um, I'm going to get that satisfaction from the challenge. But this is something else I have thought about is the experience of first ascending is really, really rewarding. Like epically rewarding. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of like really good climbers about this. Cubby is someone who I've spoken quite recently to about this. And, uh, you know, he... He agreed with me. You know, it's one of the most rewarding things uh, he ever had in climbing was um, doing first ascents and then getting to name them. Mm. Name them is so fun. Like coming up with a good name for a route. Oh, man, that's it is. It is a really fun part, isn't it? <laughs> one of the best things. And you know, I have come across so many epic, beautiful-looking lines that are much, much easier um, than the other stuff I put up that I've looked at and gone. Oh, I'd love to do that, but it would be a really nice experience for somebody else, you know. And I have thought, oh, you know, I have given like locations of really epic stuff to quite a lot of people actually, and said, "You guys should go up there because yeah. this is here." And actually, I mean, I think in a few a few cases they have taken up it, but not many. 
you know not many people have yet especially like ben loyal is yeah. a place that has got just so many awesome looking easier routes to go out some really cool stuff but just nobody goes up there yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's really cool actually saving saving lines for for others to do as well because like if you are again i don't want to big you up too much but if you're climbing at a certain level uh doing the first ascents that are going to give you a little bit of a challenge and stuff like those are for you those are your things they are the ones that give you the most joy and to recognize that oh well that line over there isn't going to be too much effort for me it's not going to be as much of a labor of love to do that but it will be for someone else and to give someone else the opportunity to feel that that's a special thing yeah. that's a special thing um so yeah it I have actually got- and maybe it's like you know like you're saying it's roots that you have to put a bit of effort in for and as you inevitably get older and your climbing ability sometime hopefully long 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 in the future starts to decline you'll come back to doing these easier lines because they will be at your then current level yeah you know? so it's maybe not that robbie phillips doesn't do easy in air quotes podcast air quotes easy first ascents it's just say it doesn't do them yet yeah yeah maybe for sure i also have a <coughs> sorry i also have a little bit of like a i guess a business idea and um, i want to uh, implement at some point very soon um and that is i'm currently doing my my um, mc well i'm working towards my mci mm. um have you done rci uh i actually have done the training right cool yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, i'm working i want to just do the mci because yeah. ultimately the rci is for single pitch mm-hmm. um i'm not I'm not too fussed. Um, I, I just want to get the MCI because I want to take people. Um, I want to do a, a little bit of guiding every year mm. onto sea stacks and some mountain routes and give some people some really amazing experiences. But one of the ideas I had <clears throat> for both bouldering and uh, and route climbing is to give uh, a first ascending uh, adventure, first ascending experience. Um, and, you know, I, I've got... All these places I know where there's loads of cool boulders that haven't been done. There's cool single pitch and, advent- and and places that are quite remote as well that just never get done. And I thought, how cool would it be to be able to take people on trips and give them like an experience of new, doing a new route, new boulder, and at the end of it, get to name it and have it, you know, added to the SMC, you know, journal, and in one day in a guidebook. I just thought that'd be so cool. That'd be amazing, man. <clears throat> Hell, yeah. I'd pay you to do that. Yeah. I'll be one of your clients right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, I've, I, I, everywhere, every time I, I do keep tabs on like good looking, easier stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I've got like, I've got like pins everywhere. you got your little black book. Yeah. So what, you know, when I get my MCI and I start running some first ascending courses, I'll make sure there's space for you. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Save me, save me something good. Eh? Yeah. Uh, all right out of all your first ascents that you have done then top three first ascents mm. uh, top, top three. three well i think probably i guess uh, what we do in the shadows yeah um that's my e10 up at uh Chig. <clears throat> i mean i'd say I, I wouldn't give them like one two and three because it's hard to do that but like um that was a very special route for me like it was a very challenging time in my life and it also 
it was just like a, a climb that at the start I thought was possibly going to be impossible for me. Mm. So um, there's a wee video of that on the YouTube channel if anyone's interested in watching it. It's quite a good wee film. It was actually probably when I first started getting, my films started getting a little bit more like emotive and story-led. Top three, I guess Summerled actually. Summerled. Nice. That that was really special, you know, me and Will um, up on that wall. That was incredible. Um, And I've already told the story of that, so I don't need to repeat it. But um, something which actually, uh, something a bit different, a boulder in Ben Loyal. Um, I did, <clears throat> I did this boulder. I called it Wind Waker, and um, it's beautiful. Like you know, people talk about like uh, Mark Zaret being one of the most stunning features yeah. in the UK, and I agree. But I think this isn't far off. Like it's this enormous granite boulder that that sort of is just seated, hidden beneath the slopes of um what's it called skur skur and batain mm. which is or that's it batain skur and batain um the main crag on ben loyal where i put up roots like valinor and e9 yeah um and it's kind of sits below that maybe 100 150 meters kind of down on the hillside and it's completely invisible when you're at that crag you'd have to walk down to the basin to find it yeah. and even when you're above it you can't actually quite tell what the feature's like but when you get onto it it's just a beautiful rippling granite it looks a little bit like an ocarina or a clamshell even like a, you oh, know, yeah, a clam yeah. has that sort of wave like feature yeah. <clears throat> that's what it looks like and you grab each uh, crest of the wave with your hand it's like a big granite sloper and traverse the full length of it the boulder's massive it's like three times the size of a bloody jeep um and uh it's quite a long traverse and it's about font 7b uh, it's had one other person try it uh this guy called rob creer who messaged me shortly after i did the first ascent and drove up from the lake district to try it wow yeah yeah, yeah. Um, talking about pilgrimage he was inspired he was inspired yeah and it was pretty cool um <clears throat> he went up there to try it unfortunately didn't didn't do it but i got a message from the other day there saying he's building his uh, strength and he's psyched to go back nice. um but it's just it's it's a pretty like remote boulder it probably takes about 90 minutes to walk in from where you park the car and uh, it's just a beautiful feature and uh i'd say it's probably one of the best bol- yeah it's without a shadow of doubt one of the best boulders i've done in scotland i would i would i would put it up there with um with uh, mark Zaret. And I can't actually think of anything off the top of my head which is as beautiful a feature. Mm. Um, and uh, I've got a really cool wee video on my Instagram actually of it, um, which I'm sure you can put a link up to yeah, as well. Um, <clears throat> and it's going to be, I think it's going to feature a little bit in the Brit Rock as well. Oh, so Brit Rock this year, Al Lee has made a film about um, me and Simon Naden doing First Ascent of Ben Loyal. So that's premiering in Sheffield on the 7th and it'll be screening in all the Brit Rock tour. Uh, locations I'm pretty sure the one in Edinburgh and probably yeah, one in yeah. Fort William Inverness and all that sort of lot so um, oh psyched to see that yeah I can't wait actually nice I've not seen it um, so you, you mentioned in the middle of all that that you've you know you've forged in your words you've forged the career in climbing which is 
a special thing to do. It's still really hard to do. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that a lot of up-and-coming climbers dream of doing. Uh, it, you know, it might not be for everybody, but I think everybody has the, when they're coming up and climbing, they're like, oh, maybe I could do this as a job, you know. Um, so what, you know, what made you fight for this as an option against, probably, uh, probably against your parents' better judgment, but what made you fight for this as the career choice as opposed to, you know, following, again, podcast air quotes, a normal career path? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I just, I kind of, I just didn't, leaving school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, not very many people know this, but I got, uh, I got a placement to study biochemistry at university. Um, I even went for six weeks, but I can remember the day I started, I was praying to my dead granddad, <laughs> just praying to him. Like, oh, I know really? I was like my granddad, I was like, cause my granddad was such an inspiration for me, you know, growing yeah. up, he was my best friend and, uh, he died just as I'd started climbing. Right. So he was, I'm not, I, I'm not religious at all, you know, I, I'm, I, but I remember like, I remember like just praying to him saying like, can I, can I get me out of this? <laughs> like, please, please get me out of this. Like, it was kind of a funny moment. Um, and I went to university for six weeks and I, I just, I just wasn't for me. I just, I knew it wasn't where I, I needed to be. Mm. Um, and I loved climbing so much, but I just didn't know how to make it a career. And I didn't know what the future was for me. So <clears throat> I spoke to my mum and my dad and my dad said, if you want to get get a job in the outdoor industry, that's absolutely fine. It's just going to pay the bills. Yeah. You're going to make it work. And I was like, okay. He said, well, I'll give you some time um, to support you to, you know, finding that. So I was really lucky that my, my parents were able to support me for a time. And I got a job at Rathal pretty much straight away. Yeah. And that was great, you know, like Ratho, uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh Leisure gave me a job working as a climbing instructor. So for a couple of two or three years, I worked at, I worked at Ratho. I was doing the birthday parties, doing the taster groups and um, working alongside some of my best friends, Geek and Buzz. And they were bringing me up as well as a, a young aspiring coach. And I was getting opportunities from Mountaineering Scotland to... Um, work and run youth team events uh, for the performance orientated and competition climbing kids. I was also route setting. I was developing my skills as a setter. I got opportunities to set for the, the YCS, um, for the national competitions, and then eventually into international competitions. So, <clears throat> you know, within like a fairly short period of time, I guess like a year, two years, I was getting all the opportunities I needed to build a career in the outdoor industry. It was it was happening, mm. yeah. And at the same time as that, I was developing my skills as a climber. I was finding, you know, where I was just finding out where I was where I was going with it. And um, I'd I'd made some relationships with with brands with sponsors, and uh, namely with a German gear manufacturer called Edelred, who I've been sponsored by since I was eighteen years old. And with uh, Mountain Boot Company, the distributors of Scarpa and Friction Labs and Sea to Summit, <clears throat> um, Scarpa being one of the main sponsors, uh, when my my climbing shoes, um, 
And uh, eventually that led to uh, building a, a good, strong partnership with the clothing brand Patagonia. And that has kind of ultimately led me into what I do now, which is, you know, brand brand work, content creation, which is the YouTube channel, filmmaking, mm. storytelling, um, you know, field testing as well for products. Uh, and and I still I still work as a coach, you know, I still do coaching sessions. Thursday I've got two two coaching sessions, two new clients. Um I, I don't do anywhere near as much as I used to. Um that's I purposely take stepped back from the coaching, but it's something that I'm still interested in. And uh, actually, the next step, really, what I want to do is explore doing a little bit of guiding. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's essentially how, in a, in a nutshell, how that how everything's kind of evolved. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't really make a, a direct pathway mm. saying. This is what you do to become a professional climber. Yeah, yeah, Because you know? <clears throat> yeah. let's let's be honest, right? With how many professional climbers are there in Scotland? You know, there's there's me, there's Dave McLeod, there's Will Bosey, there's Max Milne. I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. Maybe Greg Boswell. Greg. Yeah. Kev. Kev Shields. Yeah. Not sure. I don't actually know what Kev does. Anyway, beside the point. <laughs> I, I, I can think of five or six. You know, there. he's going to come for you after listening to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say nothing i don't know what kev does i've just spoken to kev in a couple of years um anyway there's there's uh you know five or six professional climbers in scotland and i guarantee you our our journeys in climbing especially within the sort of professional development of our careers will be very different yeah, yeah? what will has done is completely different to what I've done, which is completely different to what Dave's done. Yeah. I mean, we're all three different generations, really, you know? We're, we're all about 10, 15 years apart from each other. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the outdoor industry has changed massively in that time. But for young people, um, or other, or not even young people, but anyone who's listening to this, who's, who's thinking about, you know, getting a job in the outdoor industry, becoming a professional climber, whatever that may entail now, I do think it's easier than it ever has been bef- before. There are there are opportunities, yeah? And if that's working with brands, that's that's part of it, but you really need to understand it's a two-way street. There is work involved. It's not getting paid to go climbing, yeah? yeah. I mean, Will Bosey probably is getting paid to go climbing <laughs> because he is Will Bosey, yeah? When you're the best climber in the world, you can you can do he that. Still have his like quotas of content creation and stuff as well. Yeah, of course. And he things course. he's got to show yeah, up for. Exactly, like, exactly. He's got to do all those things. He's got to do that stuff as well. Yeah, but um, I do think that there is you know for what, what I do, there's a hell of a lot of work involved in the background. Mm. You know, and the bonus that you know that what it allows me to do is um, flexibility to go on climbing trips and to 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 do the things I want to do. But there's always the question of how long will this last? Yeah. And, you know, what is the, the, the backup if this doesn't, if I, if I don't have a sponsor next year or in three years time or in 10 years time, yeah. what, is, what is Robbie's next step? And I always think about that. It's something I'm, I'm not always thinking about, not losing sleep over it, but <clears throat> it's something I'm conscious of, which, you know, it's why I, I, I look at other options 
you know? You know, 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, would I be doing my ML so that I could do my MCI? I'd be like, no way. I don't want to go guiding in the bloody mountains. Why would I want to take people guiding in the mountains? But now I'm actually quite psyched on the idea. I'm like, look at now. I know what I've gained from, you know, the mountains and from climbing. And I've got so much psych to be able to like instill in others. I'd love the idea of that. Time to give it back. Dude, totally. And I'll tell you another cool idea I've had actually. Are you sure you won't give this away? I'll give all the the good ideas away. But um, do you know someone who I've always been super inspired by? uh, Someone who's been a little bit of a hero of mine. Um, who I could actually say inspired me to go to Madagascar, actually, he did, mm-hmm. was uh, the legendary French climber Arnaud Petit. Oh, yeah. You heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, so Arnaud is a IFMG mountain guide. He's uh, also the 1997 World Cup champion. Um, I mean, back in his day, he was, like, top of the, the, the league in World Cup competitions, top of the, the, the sport climbing world, first ascents up to 8C+. Um, and... He has done more big wall, multi-pitch first ascending around the world than probably anybody else. And he wrote a book, which is a compendium of all the most amazing multi-pitch walls called Parois de Légende. And there's a small section on Madagascar in there. And that is what inspired me to go to Madagascar big wall climbing. But Arnaud Petit also did, has been doing something really amazing over the last five to 10 years. He started this, um, this team called the FFME Rock Aventure. Now, <clears throat> basically what the FFME Rock Aventure is, it's a, it's the FFME is the French Federation and it's a Federation-backed team that um, supports young adventure rock climbers in giving them the skills to go out and put up first ascents in remote locations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Oh, yeah. I know that the UK has uh, the Young Alpinist team, yeah. Young Alpinist group run by um, Tim Tom Livingston. Mm-hmm. And I think that's flipping awesome. But we don't have a rock one. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, how do I put the steps in now that in like, you know, the years in the years to come that I could not maybe start something similar that Arno's doing yeah. where I can take some wild young inspired uh climbers to some pretty cool places and teach them how to, what it is to find an awesome line to go first ascending in madagascar and to you know do all that sort of cool stuff um <clears throat> and kind of also teach them you know what it is i've learned and uh what it is to be a professional climber to to give back um as well to the community to do things in a sustainable fashion to be a great storyteller, a great steward, a caretaker of the crags, all these things. Um, that's that's something I've kind of got in my sights in the future as well. You're a bloody inspiration. Man. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. What a, a future path that is. Like so many people are going to get so much out of that idea. Yeah, I've told my good idea. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else is going to take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. guess what yeah. I'm going to go home and work on just now. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, I wonder if uh, Mountaineering Scotland will back that. <laughs> I mean, that sounds awesome. To some pretty yeah. good, yeah. 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 We'll see. Mate, like, I wish you all the best with that because that sounds like such a cool plan. Yeah. Such a cool plan. I yeah. hope you pull that off. Our, our like, mine and Callum's vision for what we do through work is all 
holistic, trying to give opportunities for everybody to try all the different yes. parts of climbing. Yeah. You know? And we can't do everything ourselves, so we have to lean on other people to do do elements of it. And well, it's you know, a pathway, you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a pathway. And and you doing that kind of side of things, if if you get this up off the ground, like that's that's such a huge part of it. Mm. That's a huge <clears throat> part of it. Like we said earlier, not many people have the opportunity or the skills or the vision to be able to do. And if yeah. you can provide that for them, yeah. that'd be amazing, man. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's giving people an opportunity and. Uh, helping the next generation get a foothold and being able to achieve some pretty wild things. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Right. Well, I think we should wrap that up there. That was, that was really cool. Thank you very much for actually finally sitting down with me. Uh, that was, that was cool, man. Yeah, man. That was, that was cool. Love chatting. That was the most in-depth <clears throat> conversation we've had in years. I feel refreshed. Yeah. I feel inspired. Yeah, I know. We don't chat. We don't chat enough. You know, we, no, need, we, we need to go climbing more. Well, I, I mean, I would. But I'm stuck here. You're jetting about all, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the chat, man. Yeah, no it's worries, good. dude. No worries. Yeah, thank you very much. No worries. Well, I feel inspired. Do you feel inspired? Robbie is such an ambassador for our sport, having excelled in so many aspects of what climbing can offer and always inspiring those around him with his passion. Thank you so much to Robbie for sitting down with me for so long. That was awesome. Uh, can't wait to have you back on the podcast at some point telling us about your next greatest adventures. It's going to be way too loud. Can't wait to see the new video from his latest Kilda trip. And I'm sure that we all wish him the best of luck in getting his new ideas off the ground and psyched to see what he brings us next. And I'm sure that in all of his future guiding, he'll be encouraging everybody to do their buddy checks. You should too.